Welcome to the Men of Iron Podcast, equipping men for growth in your faith, family, friends, fitness, and finances. Check out menofiron.org to learn more about how you can get involved in or support the vision of changing a culture one man at a time. Thanks for listening. Here's your host, Chad Zook. How can a man pursue audacious goals, thrive in uncertainty, and live a fulfilled life? Great questions, aren't they? Well, this is the life's work of Dr. Eric Corum. Dr. Eric Corum was a walk-in football player at Texas A&M, where he found two things, a never-quit attitude and a curiosity for high performance. This is episode 82 of the Men of Iron podcast. My name is Chad Zook, and I'm your host. Eric earned a Ph.D. in exercise science from the University of Kentucky. He has worked with college athletes, professional athletes, and Olympic champions. He has successfully trained athletes at all of those levels in the areas of nutrition, sports medicine, and strength and conditioning. After 16 years as a sports scientist and a high-performance coach, he left sports training and the development of, of Olympic champions NFL players, and collegiate athletes. He said this, I wanted to take the insights I learned developing the best in the world to anyone who wants to live a healthy and fulfilled life. And now for my conversation with Dr. Eric Corum. Well, today we want to welcome onto the show Dr. Eric Corum. Eric, how are you? I'm 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 great. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, it's our pleasure. And, you know, the thing is, you were the very first uh, PhD or the person who has a PhD in sports medicine. So I don't even know what that means. We're going to unpack a lot of that. (laughs) And I've already told the audience as an intro, I've already told them some of the things that you've done in your life, which is incredible. But uh, just from your standpoint, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and then we'll roll into this conversation. Yeah, so... um... I uh, grew up in Dallas, Texas. I uh, played football at Texas A&M a number of years ago, a long time ago. And uh, that's when I started getting interested in human performance. We had a physiology lab attached to our weight room. And I started understanding that there was a science to training athletes. Hmm. And um, when I graduated A&M, I went to the University of Arkansas. I got a master's degree in physiology. And I was really fortunate to start working with elite track and field athletes. And about the next 14 years, I trained multiple Olympic gold medalists in the sprint events. And while I was coaching in football, and if you want to fast forward a little bit, um, I really kind of did some really cool stuff back in over over a decade ago. Now it's just crazy. Uh, (laughs) You don't give all that away. It makes us seem bigger when we do that, right? I know. 41, (laughs) turned 41 yesterday. So it's starting to dawn on me. Like the the numbers aren't going backwards, but um, I was at Florida State University with Jimbo Fisher, the head coach at the time. He'd just been hired and I was named director of sports science. And I had the wonderful opportunity to introduce athlete tracking technology to American sport, which for those that don't really know, like if you ever watch a football game, an NFL game, they're like, oh, such and such player ran 20 miles an hour. You see this little tracer. I brought that technology from Australia and we were able to use that data to um, drive performance and reduce injuries. And the year after we track data. We were able to use it to change the way that we trained and practiced our athletes. We had like an 88% reduction in injury. Our team went on to win a championship. 
the NFL flew in like, what are you doing here with this technology? And it literally opened a billion dollar market in the U S and now it's the proliferation of this technology is everywhere. Mm. Um, went on to the university of Kentucky as the high performance director. And I was a director of sports science at UK at uh, FSU as a high performance director at UK. And, uh, that's where I got my PhD and, uh, it's exercise science, but my research was in how sleep impacts the brain's ability to adapt to stress. So there was a lot of neuroscience involved in that, uh, was fortunate, went, went on to work for the Houston Texans as director of sports science. And then, um, uh, I left sports in 2020 to start a company called AIM7, and we're turning data into healthy habits. So I spent over 15 years in collegiate professional sport and did a lot of this sports science stuff. And now I'm taking that and applying it to like everyday folks. Wow, that's super cool. So was this like a childhood dream of yours or did you just, just land upon it? I know you were a walk-on college football yeah. player, which I thought was it's a really cool part of your story, but, but doing what you do now, was this a childhood thing or just something that came along? Well, no, I mean, I wanted to be a surgeon. Okay. And uh, so that was the path I was on in undergrad. And then I just got hooked to this idea of elevating human performance. Hmm. And when I was working with track and field athletes, um, I got to travel the world and see how the rest of the world was training athletes. And the problem that we have in the United States is we have too many good athletes. And so when you have an abundance of, a, I'm just going to call it a natural resource, mm -hmm. you're not exactly doing everything you can to elevate it because if somebody gets hurt, you just plug in the next athlete. So in countries like Australia, that's not the case. You have a very, you know, dispersed population of over a massive landmass. The country's huge. Mm -hmm. And, um, back in the seventies, uh, it, I think it was the 78 games, they only won a couple medals and they were ticked off. Like the, the country was angry and they're like, we got to do something about this. So they started something called the Australian Institute of Sport, the AIS, and they um, put government funding behind research and developing these institutes of sport to elevate their athletes. And over that time, it, it got put in place in the early 80s. And by 2000 Olympic Games, they were in the top three in the world in medal count. So they went from bottom 50 to top three. And, um, and so I started studying what they were doing and how they were elevating performance. And that's, it kind of just evolved, evolved, evolved. And the next iteration for me was, well, you know, we were using advanced technologies and I started looking at the consumer space and I'm like, I never thought I'd be an entrepreneur. I never thought that that would be, I've always been, my parents were entrepreneurs, but like you, in order to do that, you have to have a big enough problem. Oh yeah. And so totally. you know what I'm talking about? So the problem was big enough. I had the expertise and I put together a team. I'm like, we're going to be the ones to go solve this. So mm -hmm. it's, it's always just been kind of this evolving things. I didn't know what sports science, nobody knew what sports science was in the early mid two thousands in the U S I, I gave myself that title. The head coach didn't even know what it was. He's like, yeah, call yourself whatever you want. So sweet deal. Yeah. Well, you know, this is interesting because what you've done either in, through track and field or the football field or just helping athletes in uh -huh. general, now you're actually, you've broken these things down into being able to help normal people like me. So mm -hmm. what does it mean for you now taking what you know about high-performance athleticism and, and just a, a high-performing life? What does it mean to actually live a high-performing life? Yeah, to me, it's elevating 
in elevating yourself in multiple different areas to maximize your potential. So Hmm. one of the things that my parents always talked to me about was like the parable of the talents. Yeah. And like, if God gives you a lot, you're supposed to do a lot with it. If you, if you have a little talent, you're supposed to max it out. And so we worked really hard as a kid. Like I, my parents modeled hard work. And so for me, I've always been chasing my potential. Now I'm not talking about, you know, to live a high performance life doesn't mean you have to run a marathon. I will never run a marathon. Oh, I should say never. I hate running. I'd rather cycle or sprint. Right. But, um, it's, it's, it's maximizing your ability. And the model that I use is physical, psychological, technical, and tactical domains. Okay. Um, and that, that we use that in sport, but you can apply that in your life. Yeah. To be a high performer. That's really good. So one of the things that we had talked about before I hit record and that we had just kind of chatted about through email is, is this idea about adaptation. And I think Mm -hmm. that in the day and age that we live in, that we have to be adaptable. I mean, if 2020 taught us anything, (laughs) it it is that we need to be able to overcome stress, that we need to become adaptable. But honestly, just as a, as a guy goes through, and I would say the typical guy who's going to be listening to this podcast, you know, uh, at men of iron, we are, we're huge into mentoring. So we, we believe that a man needs to seek balance and grow in five different areas, faith, family, fitness, finances, and friendships. So this is the, we're all into this. And this is a really high bar for us to like lean into and help a guy to get into. But what we even know is, as a guy goes through life, those challenges change, the stressors change, you know, opportunities sometimes create obstacles and those obstacles sometimes create stress and we have to overcome those things and become adaptable. So what are some things that, that, that just the, the listener could learn, or maybe he needs to apply to his life so that he can overcome stress and be more adaptable with the ever changing things going on in our world. Yeah. I think your, your whole, the five F's are pretty cool. Um, so let's start with just like, what is stress? Okay. okay. Cause I think it's really important for people to understand that and there was this Hungarian endocrinologist named Hans Selye. You ever heard of him? Uh, he came. I don't think so. Maybe just from your website. Some, yeah, <laughs> he came up with something called the General Adaptation Syndrome. And he had this quote. He said that stress is the common denominator of all adaptive reactions in the body. So what does that mean? Stress is a global thing. Mm-hmm. There, but with specific adaptations. Um, People, first of all, need to understand that stress isn't a bad thing. Short-term stress can be really, really good for you. And the good thing is, is because the stress response is global, you can actually uh, regulate it. But with stress, stress is tied to feelings and emotions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote down here, I did a little research. I was kind of put my thoughts together on this earlier, but stress describes experiences that elicit feelings of anxiety and frustration that threaten your security or pushes you beyond your ability to successfully cope. That was kind of what I put together. And so stress comes from stressors. So work can cause you stress. Relationships can cause you stress. Finances can cause you stress. It can be a good thing or a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Exercise can be a positive or negative stress. And so One of the things I think that will level set people here is that there is a myth 
that the best in the world don't experience stress. Hmm. And I want to tell you a story about a guy named Sir Chris Hoy. Chris Hoy is a track cyclist. He's actually the greatest Olympic cyclist ever. He's a six-time Olympic gold medalist, okay? The most decorated of all time. And when describing what it was like to race in his first Olympic finals, he said it felt like he was going to the gallows. So the guy was saying like he literally felt like he was about to be executed. Um, And so there's this myth that these elite athletes never experience uncomfortable thoughts or feelings. And I want you, I want your listeners to listen to this. If the outcome of a future event or experience is uncertain, you should expect to feel uncomfortable. Mm. So think about COVID uncertain. Of course, you're going to feel uncomfortable. You walk into a board meeting uncomfortable. You're about to have, you don't, you're about to have a difficult uh, conversation with your spouse. It's going to be uncomfortable. That's okay. The way you feel though, does not determine how you perform. Hmm. And so I'm going to kind of give you what Chris Hoy did. So what Chris Hoy said was, is he would, you know, when he was in these situations, he would grip the steering wheel he would feel his feet in the clips of his, of his pedals. What he was doing was is taking control of his mind and putting his focus where he wanted it, when he wanted it there. And one of the ways you can do that, we can talk about this is mindfulness training. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot uh, amongst Christians, mindfulness meditation can have a bad kind of, you know, like there's a bad association with it. There is nothing innately Eastern or spiritual about, well, in the Bible says, you know, meditate on my word, meditate on the law. Okay. Mm -hmm. But like being able to practice intentional focus, that's really what meditation does is it teaches you or mindfulness teaches you to control your thoughts. There's nothing overtly spiritual about it is a definite game changer if you put it into practice. Yeah, and but I, agree. Go ahead. I think that's one of the challenges that that a lot of guys have, really that a lot of Christians have, is they hear that word mindfulness and they're like, it sounds exactly with what you said. Oh, it's some other spiritual thing. It's Eastern. Okay. That way kind of reject it. But but I'm with you. I think that there's a, a grand picture here of of a better life that's on offer. And I think if we would actually know what it is that we're thinking and what we're feeling. Now we can do a bunch of different things to kind of re-engage our senses, right? I mean, we can do this. Mm-hmm. That's the reason why some take a cold shower, some do an ice <clears> bath, <throat> some just go outside. Some people just, they do yoga or whatever the case may be. But all of these things are a way to kind of slow down our, our system, so to speak. You'd be able to get into the physiology of this better than I can, but to be able to slow our system down to know what it is that we're thinking and dwelling upon so that we can actually uh, maybe n- not have our amygdala just, you know, fire off and lead us off and in, in a amygdala hijack, state, right? Yes. Because a lot of times that's what happens. If we don't know exactly what it is that we're thinking or feeling, we just become responsive people. And in what we're talking about with stress is sometimes we put ourselves in situations to, like you mentioned, working out there's stress and we induce that stress into our body. So, mm-hmm. so that we can grow. But there's also any any other uh, sort of stress. It does bring about an uncertainty. Mm-hmm. But it does. No, I, think, no. I think even faith itself is 
faith has some uncertainties. Just because a man says, well, I'm, I'm following the ways of the Lord, we may know where our destination is, our hopeful destination, you know, eternally. But yet, what does that mean? What does that mean that God's going to do for us in a month? So mm -hmm. I think in what you're saying here, I don't even think it's just simply a physiological issue or an emotional issue. I think it's a spiritual issue because I think we have to know, hey, ooh, this uncertainty, it's firing something in me so that we can respond rightly. Do you agree with that? hundred percent. I mean, you can, taking back control of your mind is really important. You, ruminating is a bad thing. Right. It's something that I've had to have to work through in my life is, uh, is not chasing the rabbit down the rabbit hole hmm. and getting caught up in my own thoughts. And you can be mindful. Like there's lots of things you can do to practice mindfulness. You can do it chewing, right? you can have a mindful shower where you actually get the shower and actually think about what you're doing instead of just like going through the motions, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of way to practice this, but yes, like stress, you know, I think when it comes coming back to stress, stress is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we should expect. Like all the heroes of the Bible experience stress. David experienced ridiculous amounts of stress. Paul was stressed, but it's what they did when they were underneath stress. And I think it's helpful for people to understand that stress exists on a continuum hmm. of, and it's really how you feel from extreme panic. That's on this far right side. And on the other side is like literally extreme relaxation, which would almost be like coma. Hmm. And so the place we want to exist on our everyday day basis is like the state of alert calmness. Hmm. And so uh, do you mind if I give you a little science? Behind well, this, do so you've probably heard of this. There's something called the autonomic nervous system, yeah. and it basically regulates all the what's called homeostatic functions of the body. And because the body desires to be in the state of equilibrium, mm -hmm. okay. So there's two branches to this system. There's the sympathetic branch, which you can kind of think of as like your gas pedal, okay. It biases you towards action. So imagine you were driving your car down the road and all of a sudden the car pulls out in front of you and all of a sudden you just get that jolt and you're immediately able to swerve the car and then i mean next thing you know you're just like in this like go state right you get this adrenaline dump blood is shifted from your digestive system to working muscles your blood pressure goes up your heart rate goes up this is a good thing it's like it's actually good for a lot of different things. Like you want to go train, you want to go exercise, you need to shift into that realm. You need to protect your family or whatever. Then there's the, the break and that's the parasympathetic system. It's the rest and digest system. And it reestablishes homeostasis. So you experience some type of negative stress. That's okay. What you want to do is just reestablish this parasympathetic balance. Okay. That same guy, Hans Selye said, it's not the stress that kills us. It's our reaction to it. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important for people to have mechanisms, acute mechanisms and chronic things that they can do. So you want to talk about like regulating stress in the moment? Yeah, I love that. I think this is really speaking to every guy who's listening right now, because obviously stress is the common thread, just as you'd mentioned at the onset of the conversation. It's the common thread throughout all humanity. So absolutely. Let's, let's dig into this. This is great. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, let's just talk about the breath. Okay. 
I don't want to like overwhelm people. It'd be nice to give people a few things like tactile things they can do. When you breathe, have you ever, you ever been like really stressed out and somebody says, hey, to just take a brief, deep breath. You're going to be okay. Yeah, that is like the, the absolute, <laughs> that's the worst thing you can do. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's why. When you, when you breathe in, um, the, uh, your, your diaphragm goes down and then your lungs expand and there's actually a little bit less room in your heart. Okay. For blood to pump. And so there's like this message sent from the heart to the brain, back to the heart and says pump faster. Mm-hmm. So your heart rate actually speeds up when you take a really deep, long or vigorous in breath. When you breathe out, the exact opposite happens. There's more room. Um, and so the heart really actually kind of slows itself down. Okay. There's this quick relay system from the sinoatrial node to the brain that goes back. Okay. The pacemaker of the heart. And so if you want to like calm yourself down in the moment, what you want to do is, is like the duration of your exhales should double the amount of your inhales. Okay. So I've you can breathe in four by four. So this that's is, box this breathing. Is, yeah. 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 So like you would be like in for three, one, two, three. Mm-hmm. And you will literally like if you were to use heart rate variability, if I gave you biofeedback, you would see more heart rate variability in the moment. OK, so this is one thing that we do with athletes, because like you don't want to be what happens is, is when you're in the sympathetic state, this gas pedal state is your focus narrows, you get tunnel vision. And imagine like you're in a, let's just say you're in a difficult conversation with your spouse. That is the time to harness your tongue. Hmm. What happens when you're in sympathetic state? Do you hear that guys? Yeah. <laughs> That's really good information. <laughs> you, you're in an agitated state. And so what do you want to do? You're, you're, you're biased towards speaking, right? Hmm. You want to talk, talk, talk. That is not where you want to be. Hmm. It's a great time to long exhalations. Another thing that you can do is called a physiological sigh. Hmm. Okay. And all humans and animals do this uh, in claustrophobic situations um, when they're sleeping or after you uh, sobbing, like tense sobbing. Hmm. And what happens is, is it's two inhales followed by an exhale, long extended exhale. So it's like. Okay. Two inhales fall back. So it doesn't have to be through your nose, out your mouth, just two big inhales. What's happening is you're maximally inflating these little bitty sacs in your lungs called alveoli, mm-hmm. and then you're offloading a bunch of carbon dioxide. You do that three to four times in a row, you're going to immediately de-stress. Like and you will literally feel like your body with oxygen, right? Because that yes. in doing so, it's it's kind of waking your senses up to oxygen as you're expelling the carbon dioxide. Yeah, because if you have excessive carbon dioxide, you're going to have a a sympathetic dominant response. You're going to offload a bunch of that. Um, And so it creates this immediate sense of calm. Hmm. So before, um, so like recently, I'll just give you a personal example. Um, You know, I'm raising um, capital right now for our company. And when you go into a virtual pitch, I don't care if it's a screen in front of me that when there's, when the outcome is uncertain mm-hmm. and you know, you're being judged on the outcome, like it's going to create feelings. These So I'll do like three to four physiological size. 
And I'm like, all right, I want to focus on this. Like, I'm going to focus on the first words of my pitch. I'm going to focus on listening intensely to what the person is saying. So these are things like you can do like in the short term, like in an acute environment um, to help you with stress. But what going back, like when we talked about at the very beginning, you brought up adaptability. Mm-hmm. The human body wants to do one thing, survive. Uh, do you know who Buddy Morris is? Heard the name, yeah. Yeah, so Buddy Morris is a strength conditioning coach. He's at uh, the Arizona Cardinals, and he's a little bit rough around the edges. But he's he was like one of the first strength conditioning coaches in all of college football, and he's actually somebody that I'm kind of close to. And he he says like he has this phrase: "Is like the body is nothing more than an interdependent matrix system that communicates with and amongst itself with electrically charged molecules, and it's hell bent on one thing: survival." And that is so true. The body just wants to survive. And so in order to survive, it's going to shift resources to the most dominant threat. So if you cut yourself and you're bleeding, it's going to mobilize protein and resources to initiate a uh, inflammatory process. And it's going to move things in that direction. If you have psychological stress, there's going to be different things. Okay. But this is global reaction. You're going to see a sympathetic shift. Like immediately you get sick, you get COVID, you will see the same response Hmm. Um, that I spent years measuring biological states of adaptation using very unique biometric tools. And that's what I did my dissertation with. So the goal is if you want to be more adaptable, you want to have the capacity to handle more stress with less cost. Hmm. So think about it like this. Um, I don't want people, first of all, I don't want you to go, I got to reduce stress. Well, maybe you have to in the short term because you're overstressed, but in the long run, like life's hard, man. Hmm. Like it's going to be really, really difficult. What you want to be able to do is handle more and more and more and it costs you less. So think about like if all the stress you could handle was in a bowl that just fit in your hands. Okay. And you fill that bowl up to the very brim and then life, you know, you, it soon it's going to start spilling over. Even the little, littlest jostle stuff's going to be bouncing. Everybody tried to like carry a cup of water across the room that was filled with the brim and it's like all over the floor. Mm-hmm. Now imagine you create a bowl that you can put both arms around and you fill it up with the same amount of fluid. Like you could jostle that thing all over the place. Nothing's spilling out. Mm. Okay. And so that's what you want to do. You want to create the capacity to handle more and you can do it through multiple things. And these things are going to sound simple. People are going to like, well, duh, but most, most people haven't nailed these things yet. So like Mm. sleep. Mm. Okay. Um, I know that's something you wanted to talk about a little bit. Like I spent, when I wanted to do my dissertation, I was like, all right, okay. What are things that you can't live without? You can't live without food at a certain point. You can't live without water. You can't live without sleep. You will die. So I was like, I want to study this sleep thing. And so, you know, there's three critical things that happen when you, when you sleep. Um, number one, your brain detoxifies itself using what's called the glymphatic system. They've just found this in the past 10 years. There's something called the lymphatic system in your body, like lymph or uh metabolic waste products kind of get squeezed into these channels and move through your body and out. Well, in the brain, they've actually found these paravascular pathways where metabolic waste products like 
these certain proteins, beta amyloid plaques that are associated with Alzheimer's and dementia at night, literally get flushed out of your brain. It's craziness. Um, Also, when you sleep uh, during certain phases of sleep, things like growth hormone are released and there's tissue restoration. As a matter of fact, when you go into REM sleep, your body is in a state of paralysis and literally nothing like you can't move. And so if you ever had a dream where like you couldn't move, it's yeah. literally because you couldn't. And there's very rare occasions where you can actually wake up and REM and your body's frozen. And two reasons they think that this happens. One is it allows your tissues to completely recover. They can't do anything. The other thing too, is you've ever had a crazy dream before? Uh, not very often, but yes, a plethora over my lifetime. Yeah. Where like you could fly or something or. Yeah. Yeah. Just totally off the wall stuff. Yeah. Well, if you weren't in a state of paralysis, you may go jump off a roof somewhere, you know? So. Oh, wow. So it's actually like a self-preservation thing as well. Yeah. That's, that's kind of some of the thoughts, but, and then the third thing that happens is learning and memory consolidation. And so I I don't want to go too deep into this, but I want to remember, I told you earlier, stress is a good thing. Mm-hmm. So like, if you want to, you know, everybody kind of knows this, you want to train and improve any type of physiological function. I want to get stronger. There has to be, you have to stress the, the muscle tissue. You want to improve cardiovascular function. You got to stress it. If you want to learn the gateway, the pathway to learning a new skill is through stress. It's through agitation. So when you sit down to like read a difficult text or, Uh, study something for work. You're like, I got to learn this new thing. They're asking me to do this. And like, you sit down and you focus when you focus it, it's like bringing your attention to this very small thing and you get that adrenaline dump Hmm. and there's a state of agitation at the same time. There's a, um, um, a neurochemical called acetylcholine that's released that actually marks the neurons in your brain that are being used during um, the stressful situation of learning that during sleep, those neuronal connections are strengthened. Your brain actually expands and contract. Like the, the connections that are reinforced during the day are actually strengthened. It's called the, for all the aficionados out there, it's called the synaptic homeostasis hypothesis, but now it's been proven. You can go look this up. It's pretty wild. So the gateway to learning is a stressful situation during the day, which you need. And then when you sleep at night, that's when all the learning is cemented. So you have detoxification, tissue restoration, memory, and learning. It also impacts your immune system, your hormonal systems. It is like the number one recovery mechanism. If you, a lot of people ask a question, a lot of people ask about sleep and, and I kind of know probably what you're going to say about this, but there's a question that people ask is how much sleep do I need for, for these things to actually happen? Mm-hmm. How much sleep do I need? And I, I want to ask a, just a secondary question. How can we know if we're not getting enough sleep? It's a good question. Um, seven to nine hours is the best estimate of what you need. Okay. Um, the national sleep foundation came out with all these recommendations. And the cool thing was in my research, we wanted to see how much sleep athletes needed to adapt to stress without going down a rabbit hole. We could measure stress and these thresholds measuring what we, it was like the millivolt of the brain, like the battery of the brain. There's a certain potential called DC potential. 
And we found seven and a half to nine hours was the optimal duration for athletes that were training SEC football players in season. Um, so number one, seven to nine, most people overestimate their sleep, how much sleep they need by, or how much sleep they're getting by at least 30 minutes. So if you're like, oh, it's 10 o'clock, I'm waking up at six, I'm an eight hour person. No, you're not getting eight hours. You're probably getting seven and a half to whatever. Um, so you need to plan on being in bed a little bit longer than how much sleep you actually need. Um, so yeah, seven to nine hours. How do you know you're not getting enough? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of warning signs, irritability. So sleep helps with, uh, mood function. So if your wife's like, you're being a jerk, <laughs> you may need to get more sleep. Um, if you're not recovering from exercise, if you feel run down or worn down, um, and sometimes, and listen, if you're like, oh yeah, I'm the person that can go off of five hours every night, that genetic polymorphism is so rare. I can almost tell you right now, you're not that person. And that's who we're really speaking to right now, because you know a lot of guys, they say, oh, all I need is five hours of sleep or six hours of sleep. Ah, I, I'm such a light sleeper. I just need four hours of sleep or whatever the case may be. And, and I just kind of, yeah, you know, I listen to them, the guys who would say that. And I'm like, more than likely you are, you're basically doing what you want to do. And you're just saying that that's all you need to justify what you want to do. I you're mean, existing. It comes down to, right. I mean, I worked in pro football and elite college football, and these coaches would sleep deprive themselves, and they'd be like, oh, you know, it was like a badge of honor. And they were miserable human beings sometimes to be around. Not all of them, but you could see it. They were irritable. They were moody. They weren't making good decisions. Like, look, if you want to be a high performer, you want to be a high-performing accountant. If you are whatever you do, you want to be a great dad, you need to be putting – you need to create the conditions for success. And if and sleep is one of the best things that you can do to get another, there. Another thing that's interesting about sleep, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, is you know a lot of times you know we think about the course of say a, a five day work week for you know the, just the average guy who's going to be listening Monday through Friday, and yeah. say a guy shorts himself sleep you know half hour one night, an hour the next night. He stays up late. He gets caught up mm-hmm. in a you know, Netflix, he's got to get those two extra episodes in right now. It's one o'clock in the morning. He's got to get up at seven. Like those, those numbers actually add up. So it isn't that it's you to start from zero the next day. You actually, you will bring yourself in a deficiency day by day by day, depending upon your lifestyle. At least that's what I've been told that there is no reset, but like, Oh, okay. You know, I got a, I got a good six hours last night. Yeah. But two nights ago, you lost an hour of sleep. The two nights before that, you lost an hour of sleep. So there's a compounding effect here with sleep as well, right? Sleep debt. Sleep. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's some theories about like, can you ever pay it back? Yes, you can. The brain's very malleable, but um, yeah, like there's significant research. Actually, there's some new studies that show that like, um, gosh, what was, is this 23% reduction in, reduction in risk of major depressive symptoms hmm. by number one, having a consistent sleep routine, going to bed and waking up at the same time and getting to bed earlier for every one hour earlier before 1am that people went to bed, there was a 23% reduction. So if you normally go to bed at one and they went to bed at 12, this was like Harvard, MIT and the university of Colorado. Um, 
it is the number one thing that you can do as far as a recovery mechanism to and to improve performance across a whole host of things, physical, mental, um, emotional, hormonal, you name it. Um, napping is a great thing. I don't know. What do you, what do you want to talk about? You want to keep talking about sleep or you want to move on to something else? Yeah, let's move on to something else. Uh, I, I did want to kind of hit that. And I think sleep something that obviously there's, there's a mixed reviews on it and we all do it. So we want to do it well, so we can all be high performers, like, mm-hmm. you know, your work now. And that's what we want to try and become here at men of iron, but also sleep is just a part of aim seven. So yeah. it's just a kind of the seven tiered model that you help people become high performers. So if you could dig into, you know, aim seven, what is it? How did it come about? Yeah. And how can, uh, you know, what are the, what are the high points there that we need to take away and maybe lean into your work about? Yeah, I appreciate that. So the story really quick is that like when I first started using all this wearable uh, technology with athletes, we had all this data, we had no idea how to use it. And it took us a year to figure it out. And when we did, it changes things. Well, I started looking at the consumer market about two years ago, and I'm like, huh, got all these Fitbits, Apple Watches, et cetera. I wonder if the consumers have the same problem. And I did market research. We found the number one complaint by wearable tech users was their data was useless. And uh, it's the reason Fitbit actually lost $6 billion in their valuation because they never moved past showing people data. Like, so what if I slept seven hours? Or you tell me to walk 10,000 steps a day, which is, by the way, completely false. There's not one shred of scientific evidence to, to uh, substantiate that claim. So it's like, people, like, what do we do with this information? And so what we do at AIM-7 is uh, we, it's a 16-week program to start. It goes on forever. But we, you pick a pathway, sleep, energy, or stress. Hmm. And we create the biological conditions for adaptability. And we're going to teach you in a host of areas how to become more adaptable. And it's not a big, it's not a heavy lift. We develop this for people like you that don't have very much time, that care about your health and well-being and need a simple solution. And so right now you need an Apple watch, but if you, uh, Pretty soon, we're going to be bringing in a host of other wearable devices, but we make custom recommendations. You have a plan that we're going to send you down and we're going to give you recommendations on how to build these habits. And then we're going to give you custom recommendations on things like exercise, like how much should you do? How much exactly should you do each day? So you're not overworking or underworking your body. So you can go in there and be like, I like to do aerobic exercise. And we're going to crunch all your biometric data and be like, this is the perfect duration and intensity for you today. Um, we, we have a world-class team. We have the senior sports psychologist for the U S Olympic committee. He teaches mindfulness in the uh, program, Hmm. but, um, we got, uh, just, it's an amazing, amazing product and it's free right now. It's free. So the first thousand people we're going to let in for free, uh, at aim seven, AIM seven.com. But if, even if you don't have an Apple watch, I would suggest putting your name on the list and letting us know what wearable you use, because, We'll be quickly onboarding other wearables, but I haven't seen anything else like this on the market because we're going to teach you through video content. We're going to teach because there's something called the zone of proximal development. I think your listeners will understand this. Like there's only so much you can do without the guidance of an expert. Right. So we bring world-class experts and we like expand your capabilities. And then we give you a little habit. Hmm. And uh, I guess the final thing that's really cool about this is we teach you what's called behavior design. 
And we're going to teach you how to wire in habits really, really fast. So if you want to change something, we're going to give you kind of the cheat code for how to do that. Oh, that's a, that's a pretty sweet gig. We love cheat codes. Um, (laughs) Simple doesn't always mean easy, right? It's like you Mm. can give us a simple plan, but it's not necessarily going to be easy. So I'm sure that there's accountability woven in there to help guys to, you know, help people just to be uh, high performers in that way. And aim seven, kind of your, you, you lean into the, into what you call sun, sleep, nourishing foods, relationships, exercise, and gratitude. So mm-hmm. I'm taking it uh, that these these are the ways that you go in to try and meet those three needs, right? The What were you saying? The AIM-7 basically was to, when somebody chooses AIM-7, you said there's three different kind of pathways that they can Sleep. Do. So they, I want to improve my sleep. Mm-hmm. I want to have more energy. Right. Or I want to reduce my stress. Okay. Um, and so we're going to teach you, you pick one of those pathways and then we teach you how to create the biological conditions for it. So it's one thing for me to say like, Hey, get more sleep. You're like, gee, thanks. (laughs) It's another thing to be like, if you do this behavior, Mm. now you're going to actually want to fall asleep Mm -hmm. or you want to, uh, have more energy, do these behaviors and your energy level is going to improve. And we've tested this. It's worked. Uh, we use some very interesting technology where we, we're merging machine learning and human expertise so we can deliver custom recommendations at scale. Wow. So this is a beta product. So, um, you know, we are looking for people that like want to give us some feedback, uh, but we do have some really cool like coaching sessions that are available through it. None of this is at cost right now. So, um we're just trying to go out there and help as many people as we can. Uh, it's not something you can get on the I- Apple store. So you got to sign up through our website and then we'll give you, um, you know, access to the platform. Awesome. That sounds like some good stuff. Thank and you. It, again, that has to do with the sun sleep, which we talked at length about that nourishing foods. So, you know, the whole dietary side of it's going to come down kind of lifestyle with that relationships that speaks our language, you know, friendships, mm-hmm. family, their core to who we are exercise, of course, that's the fitness piece. And then gratitude, that's a throwaway. Nobody ever needs gratitude, right? No, we all need to be ungrateful humans. <laughs> right. We, we are, we are those on planet Earth right now. We need more, more gratitude. No, we need more good folks. You're exactly right. We do. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. And I'm really grateful that you broke those things down for us. You gave us so much to to think about and to apply to our lives. And this conversation has been great. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. This Men of Iron podcast is brought to you by Men of Iron. If you're interested in getting involved in or supporting the vision of changing a culture one man at a time, or you simply want to know more about our Strong 27 mentorship experience, Equilibrium retreats, Anchored Man video series, or Men of Iron Plus, go to menofiron.org.